Hello, hello. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is a great way to get some one-to-one lessons into your life. Imagine having some one-to-one lessons with your own private teacher, and you can do it all from the comfort of your own home, in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bedroom, uh, perhaps. Uh, but anyway, wherever you choose to have your lessons, you can have them with italki. They've got loads of teachers that you can choose from, and uh, you know they're in different places. Many of them are native English speakers and qualified teachers who are just there waiting to talk to you, to share their language with you, to teach you English and to just, you know, help you generally get all that speaking practice that you need. Um, and don't forget that if you buy some talking time with italki, they'll send you a voucher worth a free lesson. How fantastic. To get that, you need to go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this brand new episode of Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're basically having a good day. Um, This episode is packed full of language learning experience and wisdom straight from the horse's mouth. It's all about um, approaches to learning a language. So if you're out there uh, trying to learn English, trying to find out the best way to do it, wondering what the best approach might be, uh, if you're serious about learning a language, this is an episode for you. Today I'm talking to Ollie Richards, who's been on this podcast before, twice, Long-term listeners will remember him. Some of you may also listen to his podcast, which is called I Will Teach You a Language. This is his third appearance on Luke's English Podcast, and I'm very happy to share this two-part episode with you here today. I must say that I think this episode is full of really valuable insights about language learning and should be essential listening for anyone who's serious about learning a language to fluency. Here are the basics that you need to know about Ollie. First of all, he's from England. He speaks eight languages. Yes, eight. Eight languages. English is the only one that he learned while growing up as a child. That's his native language. The rest of his languages were learned in adulthood. I would say that he's obsessed with language learning. He's on a mission, basically, to learn languages, but also to explore exactly how we learn languages, to find out the best methods, the most effective techniques, to discover the holy grail of language learning. Ollie spends so much time and effort learning languages, practicing, reading academic studies, speaking to people about language in various languages, blogging about it, doing his podcast about it, producing books and courses, all dedicated to the pursuit of language learning. He's made language learning his career, in fact. You can check out his website, IWillTeachYouALanguage.com, to find out about all his projects, to read his blog articles, and listen to his podcast. As you would expect, Ollie really knows a thing or two about language learning. He's got all the qualifications, he's done all the academic work, but what I'm interested in is his own subjective experience of being a language learner himself, equipped with all of the metacognitive strategies and accepted wisdom about the subject. This is where I think we can really get to the bottom of this topic. This is how we can get to the real truth about learning a language. 
The first time Ollie was on this podcast, we got to know the basics about how he applies himself to his language learning. But that was about two and a half years ago. That episode was very revealing and still has so much to offer. I highly recommend that you go into the archive and listen to that too. It's episode number 332, over 200 episodes ago. His second appearance on the podcast was in episode 357. So in this conversation today, we're catching up with Ollie after about two years of him working away on his language learning and teaching projects. So what new insights does he have to share with us? Has his approach to learning languages changed? What does he now think is the most valuable way to spend your time in order to improve your acquisition of another language? I think the results are actually very revealing. I talked to Ollie for nearly two hours. It was very easy and we could have gone on for longer. After having had this conversation, I personally feel validated and reassured. Why? Well, because Ollie's conclusions confirm what I've also discovered about language learning and his conclusions confirm many of the principles behind my approach to doing Luke's English podcast. It's a nice reminder uh, that, in fact, yes, there is method to the madness. Spending time talking to Ollie and listening to him talk about language learning is extremely motivating and I feel like this conversation, which will be presented to you in two parts, I feel like it's a real shot in the arm for me personally, for the podcast generally, and for you too, I hope. This should be a very healthy listening experience for all of you in terms of your English. Really, if you're serious about learning English, you'll, you'll, you really will pay attention, absorb all of this, think about your own language learning experiences, apply Ollie's approaches to your situation and see how you can continue to improve your learning of English to an advanced level. There's no need to say any more now in the introduction. Let's just hear what Ollie Richards has to say about learning a language. Hello, we're talking about language. Sit down, let's have a chat. Hmm? A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Doctor, just a bit of a chat. <laughs> what about, sir? About English as a global language. This is a conversation. Yes. I would like to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. Let's have a quick conversation, huh? What do you think? That's what we're going to do. Away, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation about language. Ollie, hi. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Luke. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. And you, you, as we were chatting just now, you, you told me it's been two years since we spoke. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think you must be on something because it feels like a few months ago. Yeah. No, it's exactly two years. Well, almost exactly two years uh, to the day. Well, there you go. Time flies, as we know. Time flies. It absolutely does. So loads of things that I can ask you, loads of questions about uh, language learning and all those sorts of things. Uh, what Basically, what are you doing these days? What are you working on at the moment? Well, thanks for asking. Um, so my, so uh, as you know, my, uh, my whole project is called I Will Teach You a Language. That's the website and the, and the podcast and all of that stuff. And it's been evolving quite a lot, actually. In fact, it's probably unrecognizable since we, uh, if it's had, if it has been two years since we last spoke, I've got a new website. And um, what I'm doing now is, you see, I, what I've realized over the last couple of years is that certain things that I've been doing have really resonated with people more than others. And certain things seem to have just helped people enormously. And the thing that has really struck a chord with people and seems to have you know, helped so many people learn languages and and become fluent in the languages they're learning is the idea of story and learning through story. 
so a, a few years back i published a book of short story uh, book, book, books of short stories in different languages which are all on um, on amazon and and um those have been fantastically popular you know we've sold tens of tens of thousands of, of copies of those books and so i started to think well how can i do more to help people because one thing is publishing a book of stories which is which is great but many people need a bit more hand-holding or want a bit more help from me or maybe they are starting from the beginning they want to learn a new language from the beginning so basically what i've been doing is developing out uh, courses to help people learn languages through the power of story and that has been my my main project for the last for the last year uh, and then kind of different variations on that and this summer in fact we're recording this in June right now. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm actually about to start a project to learn Italian myself. So I'm going to learn Italian, and I'm going to do it all through a story-based method. And I'm going to film the whole thing, and I'm going to put it all on YouTube, and I'm sort of going to going to show um, like what I'm doing and, and how far I get from one week to the next, from one month to the next. I'm going to try and document it all on YouTube um, to see how this method can work uh, from the beginning. Uh huh. Okay. Wow, that sounds good. Uh, so we can actually see your process of learning a language through storytelling or through stories, as you said. So what is yeah. it? So you said that this has really struck a chord with people, the idea of using stories uh, to, to learn languages, right? Yeah. So tell us more about that. How, how do we learn or how can we learn languages through stories then? Well, the, the, best, the best way to construct, to, I think, to, to make this tangible is to compare a traditional approach of language learning to this story-based approach, which you could characterize as an in input-based method for people who are familiar with um, with different teaching methodology. So in a traditional language learning method, basically what you do is the teacher will teach words and phrases and grammar rules to the students through a series of classes using textbooks. And then the students will then be asked to to learn those words or learn and practice the grammar rules. And so you're kind of you're learning how to speak a language in a very conscious, active way mm. by learning the bits and pieces and then kind of piecing them all together to make sentences that come out of your mouth. It's what is uh, known as a, as a behaviorist approach. It's the idea that you can learn something and then be able to do that thing that you've learned. Mm -hmm. A little bit like you imagine you're kind of training those experiments where you train rats to um, push push certain buttons in a cage. They know that if they push one button, they'll get food. And they know that if they push another button, they'll get an electric shock or something like that. It's, you know, very well-documented experiments, which were the kind of foundation of the of, of, of behaviorist psychology. That has been kind of the, the dominant way of teaching languages for most of the last, of the last century. Now, um, the opposite approach to that is what is what was popularized by Stephen Krashen and it's the idea that you don't or you can't learn a language through deliberate practice through rote memorization or through production or through, you know, basically through speaking you learn or in Krashen's language you acquire language when you are able to understand things that you read or that you hear mm. So the basic principle behind a story method is that you spend lots of time reading and listening to the language, doing your best to understand, following along the story, enjoying what you're reading and listening to. And in that process, 
through the amount of input you get and through striving to understand and, and, to, and to kind of communicate and interact with the story in your mind, what happens is you end up learning because stuff makes sense within the context of the story. You repeat uh, vocabulary over and over from one chapter to the next. And you don't have to wait to learn the present perfect when it comes up in your textbook. You get it right from the beginning, but you see it naturally in context in the story. And so over time, your brain simply gets used to the way that the grammar works. Mm. So they're two very, very different approaches. And uh, the more that I learn languages myself, the more I see that this input-based approach of focusing on listening and reading and then letting your speaking be a natural consequence of that uh, is is just by far and away um, the most efficient way to go about learning. Really? So you, you can actually see the results yourself through doing yeah. this? The, the interesting thing is that, you know, people, are, especially in this, in this day and age, are, they want immediate results, instant gratification. It's like the Duolingo effect. People love using things like Duolingo because it just, you get, I don't know what happened. You get birds flying at you and eggs exploding or, or whatever happened. I don't know what happens in Duolingo, but it's all very kind of, you know, you get that instant gratification from getting the right answer. And that's what language education has always been like as well. It's like, I want, I, if I can learn a grammar rule, understand it, and then use it, get it right in some exercises, I feel like I'm learning so I can kind of measure my progress. The trouble is that there's no link no good or reliable link between that and actually being able to speak the language, right? So the the, the interesting thing with the story-based approach is you don't necessarily see your progress from hour to hour or even from day to day. You see and feel and experience that progress from week to week. It's a kind of longer-term thing. Mm. And, uh, and and when, it, when that progress happens, it happens much more naturally, very subtly. Sometimes you're not even aware that you're learning. But what happens is you kind of come to speak and you realize all this stuff's coming out of your mouth that you've never learned, you've never studied. But it's it's just gone in naturally. Your brain has absorbed it through um, through all the reading and listening that you're doing. So so what would the routine be like then? I mean, you, we're going to see this when, you know, you yeah. do your Italian videos. But what, what give me an idea of, a let's say, a weekly routine that would involve this. Because um, I'm thinking at this point listening to stories reading a lot of stories that you'll just be sort of spending a lot of time on your own reading and listening does speaking you know how does speaking come into this uh, what's the general routine right so i think we have to draw a line or make a difference between when using this method as a complete beginner which is what i'm going to be doing when i'm learning italian and then using this approach as a more advanced student. So the people who, who are listening to this right now, for example, would would be in, in a more advanced stage of their of their of their language learning. So let me start with with that. Essentially, what you want to do and the key here, the absolute most important thing is that you need to start with compelling material and compelling material means stuff that you really want to read. Let me give you an example. We're just about to start the World Cup. I imagine that everybody's going to be logging on to their favorite news site to to get the scores from the games that they missed on a daily basis. That is compelling. You really want to know the scores. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine that instead of um, getting instead of getting that information from 
the kind of newspaper or websites of whatever country you're from. Instead, you go and you you get that information from a newspaper in the language you're learning or from a podcast in the language that you're learning. That is compelling. And when it's compelling, you push yourself to understand. You have to understand. So you, you're going to do you're going to work so much harder than if it's in, than if you're reading the instructions for the washing machine in your target language mm. uh, that, that kind of motivation is super important so number one is you have to choose compelling material that, that just fascinates you and excites you the second thing you've got to do is use material that's at your level and this is where most people go wrong they choose to use material that's too hard for them or too easy for them and as a result they don't learn anything so the routine which was your question, how does this work? Is What you will do is you'll find that really interesting material that's just a little bit above your current level and you will simply sit and you will read that material over and over again. You also should have the audio, so you'll read and you'll listen at the same time over and over again because then what happens is that you can, if you, if, you, if you listen to something and you don't quite get it, then you can look at the words and fill in the gaps in, in your understanding. So you can read what you hear and hear what you read. Very, very powerful. So you might do that for half an hour, an hour, listen to it over and over again. And then the next day, you might move on to something else. But the day after that, you might go back to the first thing that you read and go and read that and listen to that again. And so you're, you're going over material many, many times uh, and uh, recycling the material, listening to it all the time, pushing yourself to understand what you're reading, what you're listening to. And it's basically an ongoing process of of that. You can, you can do things on top. You can look up words if you want to. You can maybe, um, you know, if you see a grammar point, you might want to look it up. Some people might like to do flashcards. This is kind of down to you what you want to do. But I find that my process, and I'm doing this at the moment with Japanese, I'm doing exactly this. Um, my process is basically that I'm just reading articles until I read them over and over until I can understand them. I look up difficult words. I try not to look up every word, but I look up difficult words. And then I simply move on to new things. And then a few days later, I'll come back and read it again. So it's it's very, very simple. Mm. The, the it, When it really starts to work is when you keep that up day after day week after week right. because then what happens is over time you get so much input that your brain will just naturally absorb things mm, interesting so it's just this repetition the kind of steady uh, input like this and then over time you start to see the results speaking does speaking come into your weekly routine there then again it's going to depend what what stage you're at if you're a beginner so, for example, in my Italian project, for the first month, I'm not going to speak a word of Italian. Mm. And part of this is a test because I want to see, right, if I just spend one month every day reading and listening. What, sorry, what is your level of Italian at this point? Zero. Really? Absolute yeah, zero? Absolute zero. I can't say. I can say, io sono oli. Okay. Io non, non, no, io non parlo italiano. Right. That's pretty much what I can say. Uh-huh. So month one, the first month is going to be um, just listening and reading. And then the big test is going to come after one month. I'm going to open my mouth and have a conversation and we'll see what I can do. And that will be a very uh, – I'm curious to see what's going to happen as well. <laughs> so you're going to get to see this on YouTube. 
my first conversation after a month, having not spoken a word. So we'll see what happens after that. Um, and then, you know, what, the thing is, once you can speak a language, so for the people listening who can already speak, the basic principle here is that speaking is a consequence of input. So you get you spend your time listening and reading. And as you acquire this language, it comes out naturally because you simply know it. It's like when you when we're speaking now, we're not thinking about what we're saying, about the words. We just know them. Mm-hmm. So speaking is something that, you know, obviously there are things that you can do to practice um, and to, to, to improve your speaking. But the, the, the basic principle is that you focus on input and you let, uh, you let speaking happen naturally. Okay. I, I talked about a weekly routine. Maybe instead it's more of a long-term program where you, you get all that input and, uh, you know, the listening and reading, as you said, for a month. And then yeah. after that, so on, on a more long-term basis, that's when you would start to, uh, you know, find Italian people to talk to and, and, and so on. Are you actually going to be going to Italy uh, in order to meet Italian people? Okay, so my plan is, so month one, like I said, is just uh, reading and listening to stories in Italian. Mm-hmm. After one month, I'm going to then start speaking. And then month two is going to be a lot of speaking. So when I said before that speaking is is not something that you study it doesn't mean you don't speak i mean i absolutely will be speaking a lot because to get good at speaking a language you have to speak it a lot so i'll be doing a lot of speaking but what i'm not going to be doing i don't think and we'll see because it's difficult just to predict exactly what's going to happen mm. this is an experiment for me as well um what i'm not going to be doing is is basically practicing my speaking in the sense of learning things and trying to say them specifically trying to practice my grammar points nothing is nothing intentional like that mm-hmm. so months so the way i'm thinking about it right now i'm still planning it i think month one lots of listening and reading the stories month two lots and lots of speaking and then month three i will probably work with a teacher to get some specific feedback on how i'm doing mm-hmm. because there are going to be things that i'm not aware of at that point um so you know, when you start to reach higher levels, that's when having a teacher can be really handy because they can point out, you know, nuances in grammar that you might be missing, more, you know, more appropriate use of vocabulary, things like that. So my, so my aim is to be to be fairly, you know, conversational by the end of the three months, and then I'm going to travel to Italy and be tested for uh, for fluency at the end of those, at the end of the the three months. And I don't know if it will be three months. It might be two. It might be four. I don't know. Um, and again, the aim is not to get to any specific level. It's more of an experiment on my part to see, like, where can I get to? And so by traveling to Italy and, uh, and being tested, it is quite a, you know, it's a bit of a party trick, if I'm being honest. But at the same time, it would also be quite informative and useful for me to uh, to, to see, like, okay, what, you know, what have I been able to do uh, in this time? Plus, for your videos, it's going to be interesting because there'll be a travel element to it where you'll you'll be going abroad and actually going to italy and that's going to be fun for the videos and stuff like that yeah, so yeah, exactly gives you exactly. a good excuse to go to italy as well doesn't it then you, you've just found out my true uh, well, motivation for this why i need an excuse to go to italy <laughs> <laughs> um the first three months then is is going to be what in the uk is that where you're going to be based during this experiment yeah so so a couple of other things i should mention number one i sp- I speak other Romance languages. So I speak French, I speak uh, Spanish, I speak Portuguese. Mm. So Italian, you know, it's on the easy end of the scale. It's not like learning Vietnamese or, 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 or Polish. 
you know, the, Italian is very closely related to these three languages. So I've got a head start. I've got a, quite a big head start, I think. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing um, to mention. That's why I think in these three months I can get quite far because I've got a kind of an advantage by knowing these other languages already. And then the second thing to mention is that, yeah, I live in London and in London there are tons of Italians. And one of the reasons I want to learn Italian is because I think it's going to be really useful for my life here because I meet Italians all the time, uh, whether it's you know in a, in a cafe serving me coffee or or in a party or you know, the guy who did some filming for me recently was Italian. I, everywhere I go, I meet wonderful Italian people. So actually, by being able to speak the language, it's you know it's not just a kind of gimmick. It's actually going to really enhance my my life. Yeah. So I'll be doing as much speaking as I can in London here with people, but I'll probably also be using iTalki uh, because it's just so convenient to get that extra mm. airtime. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the stories that you're going to be uh, reading and listening to. And you talked about how it's important to get compelling material. So yeah. how are you going to find compelling material for your Italian then? Where are you actually going to get it? And what is compelling material for you? Right. Well, as a beginner, you have your options are reduced because you don't know anything. So as a beginner, you've got to start with material that has been written for beginners. Yeah. And there is a book called uh, Italian Short Stories for Beginners, um, which I uh, I, <laughs> I I created. Uh, wait a minute, you can't read that. That's your book. You, you well, it's my book. It's my book, but also, obviously, I, I had these books also in Russian, which I have no idea about, and um, and, and other languages as well. I had you know, obviously I work with a, with a big team of people to create these books, and so I am actually going to start by reading my own books. I see. So you uh, don't if, you don't know the that. stories uh, off by heart already? Well, I do, I do. But the, but the thing is that actually knowing the story and having an awareness of the context is actually a good thing because what that means is that you can focus on the language itself you can focus on the words being used you can you you know you, you're going to be more you're going to get you're going to understand more of what the grammar is because uh because y- you know the function that that grammar is playing in telling the story mm-hmm. so you know it's it's like a great thing to do in any language is to read a novel that you've already read in your mother tongue because you know you you have you, you have less work to do and you can focus more on the language so i'm uh, yeah i'm going to be i'm going to start by reading this book i also have um i've been collecting some other sources of material there's a fantastic website called link uh, l i n g q um which which kind of curates beginner content or content at lots and lots of different levels, but they also have lots of uh, kind of mini stories for, um, for beginners there as well. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, just with that, uh, I'm going to have quite a bit of stuff. I'm also working on the Italian version of my, of my, of my, my, my course uh, using stories, which I'm working with an Italian teacher on. So I have the, the story already for that. That's, that's, that's going to be the foundation of, of that course as well. So I've got quite a lot of material here already. And, um, you know, p- part of what I'm doing now with my, with my work is actually, is actually making this material and creating material so that people that do want to start learning a language with stories have got stuff to use. Yes, I see. And they, they, don't, and they don't have to make the beginner mistake of trying to read War and Peace in Italian um, and, um, and giving up after one page because they've just had their head in the dictionary the whole time. What's the name of the series of books that you've developed? Uh, it's called it, it's called short stories for beginners. So you've got Spanish short stories, you've got English short stories for intermediate level as well. Which French, um, French. We've got French, uh, and we're also there's 
kind of a, a sort of secret project surrounding these books, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Oh, um, but we will be developing these stories out into 20 different languages over the coming years. Um, and I'll let you know when, when I can say more about that, but this, but this is really, really exciting. And uh, you, you'll be hearing more about this soon. Okay. That's fantastic. Uh, I, sh- I should get a copy of the, um, short, short stories for, uh, beginners in French. I mean, not that I'm a beginner. Well, you could try the intermediate book. I mean, maybe you'll, yes. maybe you'll, um, yeah, I'm sure you'll get, you'll get on well with that. I, I would like to, I genuinely would, because I need to do a lot more reading. I've been listening. I listened to, um, a few podcasts in French. I've got some friends who are French comedians who do podcasts in French. And that's interesting to listen to French stand-up comedians talking about stand-up. And if you're talking about compelling material, that's something I find compelling personally, is listening to stand-up comedians talking about the things that they do and talking about being comedians. And actually, that's what I... That's one of the reasons why I haven't learned French as well as I should have done. Because I go, I spend a lot of my time walking around listening to stand-up comedians in English. You know, there are so many podcasts done by comedians about comedy. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is this is a challenge that I I face uh, personally a lot of the time, which is that I'm interested in all kinds of things. I love podcasts, I love audiobooks. and there's so much stuff I want to listen to in English. Often, it's like hard for me to ba- to battle the, the the temptation to just turn on that podcast i really like in english yes uh, so i guess you know the, the the best thing your best thing you can do really is just to try to consume that same kind of content but in the in the language that you're uh that you're learning and comedy obviously is often pretty hard mm-hmm. last night actually i just went to see frankie boyle in the leicester square theater oh wow really uh, in london which was just an assault on the senses and and the um you know and 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 on and on, and on belief that those certain words are kind of coming out of the mouth of another human being uh, but it was, he, you know, it was, it was just for my listeners who don't know frankie boyle is a scottish stand-up comedian who's known for being what sort of very controversial and uh, explicit um, he's just incredibly he just goes his whole thing is to be as offensive as possible but he's just he's just very very good at it and he's extremely funny yeah I don't know if I if it, I don't know if, if in any other language that I speak whether I could really appreciate that level of um, you know of comedy on that level of subtlety you know I, I just don't I don't know. Um, but then there's there's comedians talking about doing comedy, which is not the same as listening to comedians doing comedy. Yeah, and it's often quite serious as well, isn't it? Like if you listen to someone like Stuart Lee talking about his comedy, I mean it's, it's just like just like talking to an artist or a or any deep anyone who thinks a lot about what they do there's, there's not a lot an awful lot goes into it yeah definitely but i mean for me personally that's compelling material because um that's just something i'm very interested in because it's kind of what i like to do in my free time as well as to do comedy so i like to listen to people talking about it uh, it's a subject i personally find compelling i mean you we were just you know talking about finding material that's personally compelling for you and i'm just i was just you know reflecting on what uh sorts of things are personally compelling for me and thinking about how i can find the right material in french so i mean you're italian you're you're a beginner but in other languages you're not so i mean what kind of compelling material are you finding uh in your other languages then um i mean because you you have to maintain how many languages are you actually maintaining 
Oh, I never think about it like that, no. really. I mean, I just, I just, I, I, I generally have languages that I kind of speak um, pretty well and, and can use quite freely. And, uh, and and those ones, like, because they're at quite a good level, I don't really have to work on maintaining them. And then there's the others, which I'm not that good at, so, uh, and, and I and don't speak very often, so I, I kind of just let them, I just kind of mothball them, really, until uh, until they're needed. So really, like, some of those <laughs> languages that you've learned to a good level, that that's it, they're just there now, and, and uh, you don't have to kind of... Well, I mean... For- you know, French is a good example. I used to speak French really well, um, but I'm talking about when I was like 20, 21. And I've literally never used it since. Every now and again, and I remember I was in Berlin a couple of months, a couple of years ago with my friend Jan, and we were just sitting in this bar out on the street. It was a kind of beautiful, warm spring evening, and we just kind of sat down and this, we started talking with this French guy um who was who sat down next to us and we had this kind of long deep two-hour conversation about the um about the 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 sort of state of of society in 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 paris and and all of that stuff it was a really kind of deep conversation and um and that was after about 15 years of not speaking any french at all now obviously i was rusty and i probably made all kinds of mistakes but we had a really great conversation and um and so that's 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 fine. If I ever had to use French on a more serious basis, then I I I know that I could spend some time getting it back up to to where it was. It's just not something that I, I kind of need to do at the moment or have much interest in doing at the moment mm-hmm. because there's always something else to do, right? Yes. So um, I, so I really just don't think about it um in those in those terms. I think the key is always at, at some point your language has to be up at a B two level. B2 being kind of strong upper intermediate level where you can have a conversation um, comfortably. Once you get to that point, most people would, most polygots I know would say that your language never really, it it can get rusty, but it's always going to be there because it's almost as if it kind of takes up residence in some part of your brain, which can be unlocked at any point, Um, which doesn't, doesn't appear to happen at lower levels because you just haven't you haven't just bedded it down enough is it you haven't consolidated your knowledge um enough mm. so um so to get back to your question uh, i mean the language that i've been working on most most recently has been japanese and so what i've been doing in japanese is i've actually been reading articles on linguistics and language acquisition right um and uh so that would be uh, these kind of that, that that's the kind of topic or theme um in japanese and you can if you just you know you search something like that on google and you can find all these different articles by people and then i just read them i, I read them and listen to them i sometimes i get friends of mine to record the audio if i just find something in text i might ask my friend uh, in japan to re- record the audio quickly for me so i'm listening and reading to those and so i kind of get these I just read and listen to to these articles over and over and over, and it, sometimes it's really hard. Um, for me, that's very compelling because I'm very interested in language acquisition. I kind of break my own rule a little bit with that because they're a bit too hard for me, but it's okay because motivation and interest overrides everything else. You know, if, if you are motivated and interested enough, you will figure out how to understand it. So I so I do that. I also I'm I'm fascinated by um, the by Japanese perspectives on world events, 
so I, I often watch um, news about uh, Kitachosen, which is no, uh, North Korea. Uh, on I watch the news about North Korea in on NHK, which is the Japanese national news channel. So I watch, you know, with, with all this business, this funny business with Kim Jong Un, like, you know, strutting strutting on the world stage recently. I, I tend to watch this stuff on NHK because I just like. I'm just very interested in the angle that the Japanese take because, you know, they have a much more vested interest because they're next to North Korea. So I, re- I, I read these articles about North Korea. And um, and and again, like, so now if you if you if you start talking to me about um, about these Shunokaidan uh, and and these things like leadership summits and denuclearization, like I can understand all of that stuff <laughs> because I just because I, that, that's the stuff that I I spend my time with. Isn't that isn't that a isn't that a slight danger though that if you get too too specific and you follow because um, you know I understand the idea that it can be very valuable to um, improve your language by getting very specific and reading everything you can or listening to everything you can about the, the, your chosen specialist subject which is you know linguistics or North Korea or whatever it is, isn't there a danger that you're going to end up with a slightly narrow um, uh, range of, of language that you've been exposed to, that, that you'll only be able I mean, to talk yeah. about North Korea and linguistics? Well, I mean, if that's literally all you listen to, then then yeah. But of course, like, there are, there is all kind of transferable skills within that. I mean, you know, a word like kakumisairu, which is a nuclear missile, mm-hmm. You're obviously not going to use in daily conversation, but then the the grammar that's being used to to talk about the those uh, those those missiles in that sentence is obviously transferable to any context. It's like a, I, I like to use the analogy of a rising tide floating all boats. You know, once the more the more that you listen, the more that you read, the more confident you get just listening to uh, to to this kind of language. Mm. The, the easier it's going to be to then listen to other stuff in a similar register um, because you're just you're just used to it. Uh, so so yeah, it's. I mean, what I've just talked about is kind of a, a three or four week snapshot of of what I've been doing in Japanese. I'm sure. I uh, you know I started the other day. I started listening to audio books of, of a novel in Japanese, which is I actually found really hard. I find reading novels in Japanese very very hard because it's a totally different kind of language. Uh, and then um, so that presents a different challenge and uh, and then you know if I did more of that I get better at that but but ultimately I think you know we, all, we it's very easy to talk about the ideal and um, and the perfect scenario as if any of us ever get there in any of our languages right so I think really providing that you're doing stuff that interests you and you're doing it consistently and you're doing it using a method that makes sense for you then not only will you definitely keep improving but you'll also be much happier and because you're spending time doing the things that you're interested in and and that for me is really one of the golden rules of language learning is like do stuff that you do stuff that interests you and you you will keep it up and you will improve yeah because as you said it's ultimately it's about motivation and it's about exposure and you know the mission is to get as much English, or in this case English, for my listeners, whatever language it is. The mission is to get as much of that language in as you possibly can, and and the the driving force for that will be the stuff that is particularly interesting for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering what kind of 
I'm just wondering if we can give our, give my listeners any tips for compelling material for um, more advanced learners of a language. Um, I mean, you talked about reading news articles and uh, articles online and things like that. What about for things like, um, I mean, I'm just thinking about your Japanese. What about for uh, listening to people engaging in, in social conversation? Because if you're listening to, let's say, an audio book or even someone mm. reading out an article, isn't there a kind of an, an area that you might be missing out on, which is just that kind of uh, uh, socialising and the, in, yeah, the, the well, typical interactions that people have and the way in which people engage in conversations in, in the language? Yeah, so in that case, conversation-based podcasts yeah. are I, the, best, the, best, like, the best place to go. I mean, last year I developed a, a series of materials called um, Conversations, which was... Um, I didn't do it in English, but I did it in French, Spanish, German, Italian, uh, Chinese, and Japanese. And the whole this is based aimed at intermediate learners. And the entire it, it's a, basically a long story told in twenty chapters. And every story is like a play, so it's nothing but dialogue, conversations between different people, um, and you're telling the story through conversations, different people meeting each other in this fictional town, um, and. And the whole purpose of that was to to strengthen your listening skills in everyday conversation. Okay. And um, but that's not that's that's I, I just mentioned that because of because it relates directly to your to your point, which is a good one, which is that the way that people speak on a you know with friends is not the same way as they as they write news articles or or, or you know talk about. Uh, you, you know, a news program or, or or articles in a newspaper or something like that. So, I mean, it, the way I think about this is, it is in some way. I, I wonder sometimes whether it's not a bit of an academic discussion because ultimately, you've got to get your input from somewhere. And the place that you get it's like when you want to lose weight. You know, what's the best diet? It's the diet you stick to. What's the best exercise routine? It's the one that you stick to. What's the best language learning method? It's the one that you stick to ultimately. Mm. And if you keep, if you, if, if if I spend all my time, you know, reading about linguistics and um, and and, and reading about North Korea <laughs> in in Japanese, then yeah, obviously I might be a bit a bit a bit surprised when I when I come to listen to a, a conversation between two people but that's more of a kind of adaptation problem right. than anything else you know when 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 the time comes that I need to do that I I don't doubt that I'll be able to and I'll be able to 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 switch the important thing is that is that, is that you're always trying to improve and you're always trying to just you know learn more learn new things um but you know it, it obviously doesn't hurt to do things like listen to podcasts and there's so many podcasts out there i mean as english learners listening to luke's english podcast to take a random example from the from the podcast sphere you know a podcast like is a conversation between two people with with a transcript to follow along so you can listen and read i mean that's it and, and i do some of that in japanese i do i do find it quite hard i have to say um often because those kind of longer conversations they're not particularly conducive to to studying and learning from because they're they're long you mm -hmm. can't easily repeat it's not practical to repeat them a lot um so you know working with pieces of material that are you know between say three to five minutes long 
for me seem, is often ideal because you can then listen to that on repeat and you get so much from the repetition don't you find though that sometimes you want to just listen to a conversation that just goes on and just like listen to where the conversation goes and things just do you yeah. you know yeah I mean, it, it it depends on your level again. Like if if I was mm. listening to a podcast in Spanish or Portuguese, which are my you know kind of stronger languages, then yeah, I just listen to the content because I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, with Japanese, I find that more challenging because my level is not as good, and and, um, and and Japanese is a more difficult language. So if, if I if if I turn on a convers a podcast conversation in Japanese, I often struggle to follow because it doesn't meet the golden rule that I gave you earlier about using material that's at your level yes that's why it's such an important thing um it's not that you know listening to a podcast that's far above your level is a is a bad thing i mean everything helps um it's like that the, the famous noam kato quote was that language is a language is the only thing in the world that it's worth knowing badly <laughs> you know like spending time with a with a podcast is, is always going to be a good thing but if we're talking about um um, if we're talking about how to use your time well and how to improve, how to learn new things, then the best way to do that is with with material that is very slightly above your current level. Yeah. Because then then you're going to find it easier to understand, and also if it's shorter, then you can just it's easier to repeat. You yeah. To get more, squeeze more juice out of it. It's you know? just a more manageable format that you can you know that's more yeah. appropriate for playing around with uh, in 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 that way. So you've been reading a lot about uh, the way that the Japanese cover the North Korean story. Yeah. So what, how do they cover Kim Jong-un and, uh, it's, and all this stuff? It's admirably um, detached and, uh, and uh, objective, I have to say. You mean they're not absolutely pulling their hair out? No, I mean you'd, you'd think you'd think they'd be just absolutely bricking it, but they and, and I think they probably are beneath the surface. But bricking, the, it. But bricking you're going to have to explain bricking. You're going to have to explain bricking it. <laughs> so you'd think that they were very, very scared. Okay, bricking it means very scared, but. <laughs> there is a, there is, nuance. <laughs> there is a, there is a more specific explanation than that. Bricking it is it's like when you're so scared that uh, a brick um, arrives in your underpants and uh, what the brick is made of and where it comes from, I'll leave up to the listener's imagination. Um, okay? Which, you know, when you've got nuclear missiles flying over the north of your country, um, it's an entirely is, a, is, a reason, is a reasonable reaction. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who can blame <laughs> Um, so I think that they probably are pretty, but you know the Japanese are very kind of stoic people, and they are they're not. You know, you you saw after the tsunami in two thousand eleven, twelve, eleven, yeah. Uh, and I was there in Japan during that time, um, oh. which I'm not sure if we talked about before, but but anyway, um, no, I, I you know you saw like within within a matter of weeks, like entire motorways had been rebuilt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like, it was just inc- incredible. Uh, the Japanese are very, very, they don't mess around. They do things properly. They do things well. Um, and they pull together when it matters. And so with North Korea, yeah, the, the, the coverage of, of the North Korea situation, I mean, obviously things are better now as we speak. Who knows by the time this come, this podcast comes out, it might all be um, upside down again. Mm. But, uh, but, but, you know, certainly six months ago when, when they were then when they were firing missiles like spaghetti all over the place uh it was 
concerning to say the least for, for Japan. And yet the news coverage was just very, very objective. Like this is what happened. You know, you've got a very, very stern faced man in a, in a black suit reading it, reading a report from a piece of paper. I mean, that's, it's, it's like the BBC used to be 50 years ago. Right. Right. I see. It's, it's funny, you know, because when I, when I, when I watch a lot of British media or American media, I mean, you can, you, you can tell within seconds whether it's a kind of left leaning or right, right leaning um, angle that they take. Um, I mean, the, you know, the BBC tends to be so kind of bland as it's just impossible to tell. But certainly, something like Channel Four News here in the UK are kind of so 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 progressive that any kind of any kind of um, any any coverage of any right leaning organisations or people or or or, or movements are are just you know extremely uh, they take a very harsh line. On them, and the opposite is, is true of, of left-leaning movements, and um, and that's palpable. Either that, or I'm just hypersensitive to that stuff. I don't no, know. I but, but no, it, no, I I get it too. Yeah, I notice those things too. That uh, you can pick up on uh, the bias uh, in in different media outlets pretty quickly. Um, I mean, certainly American TV is, is is really obvious. I mean, it's maybe a bit more obvious with them because you just look at Fox News and. Um, I mean, I saw something on online the other day. It was like a comparison between how Fox News dealt with um, um, Trump uh, talking to Kim Jong-un or expressing an intention to talk to Kim Jong-un and how they covered exactly the same thing, but with Obama. And when Obama said that he would uh, talk to Kim Jong-un as well. And the Fox News, it was just, it's so obvious, you know, they're biased. (laughs) Yeah, they were like, Obama says that he would sit down and talk with a known terrorist. And and then with Trump, they're saying Trump is going to bring peace to the world in this unprecedented meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un. Would you, as president, meet with the leaders of a country like North Korea? Obama extraordinarily said, I'd meet with him. Senator Obama made his intentions crystal clear on the campaign trail. I will meet, not just with our friends, but with our enemies. President Obama likes talking to dictators. He would meet with some of these madmen without any preconditions. You know, I'm going to reach out to these crazy people uh, around the world and try to get things done. I think that's a mistake. Obama is bowing and scraping before dictators. What is Team Obama doing establishing formal contacts with these people? A remarkable turnaround in relations between two historic adversaries. The commander-in-chief's leadership is now leading to a major foreign policy breakthrough. Another stunning Donald Trump breakthrough. President Trump scoring a big win. It's time to celebrate a great victory when it happens. President Trump proves the experts wrong again and scores a stunning diplomatic triumph. Yeah. Just the tone, the tone of voice, the the kind of images that they're showing... And of course, the, of course, excuse me, of course, the same thing is, is true on the other side as well. So, you know, the majority of, of American media being very liberal, um, you know, just has, has, takes, takes the most sort of skeptical uh, line possible on, on Trump sitting down with, with the North Koreans. You know, it's just a publicity stunt, blah, blah, blah. And yet at the same time, he's what he's done is bring the whole uh, the whole region the closest it's been to peace in 50 years so you know it remains to be seen how it plays out but it's uh it's it just seems impossible to separate the the personality from the uh 
from the from the events and from the and from the facts yeah. it's 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 a very it's a very rare thing to find to hear a report on something and and to not detect any kind of um bias but certainly when i watch japanese um media it's just it's admirably uh it's admirably uh objective but at you, least it is from my i mean i might be missing new ones i don't know but it does seem that way to me do you not think that their media is is biased i mean it, it, do you think there's any bias going on there well, the thing is that I mean, you know, J- Japan is a very homogenous society, extremely homogenous. You know, more than any other society you could, pro- you could possibly uh, point to. So, um, you know, people tend to fall in line quite, quite readily mm. in 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 Japan. And um, you know, I'm sure there's there are more nuanced political and societal discussions going on. It's probably not within my consciousness or um you know within my awareness yeah so I, I i couldn't really say i'd be entering into territory i don't know enough about uh, i'm sure there is there is bias i mean there always is right but um i think you, i think i'd have to defer to someone more knowledgeable than me on that yes okay well i don't know if any of my listeners out there um are aware i mean i don't know what's the situation in japan is there a is there um do people in general talk about there being bias in the media in Japan? Is it is it something that, that people are aware of? Um, you know, does NHK represent what everyone thinks, or are there lots of people out there who don't agree with the the sort of uh, the line that's taken in in the media in Japan? I don't know. We don't know. So, any listeners who know, uh, you can let us know in the comments section. Just write some things if you fancy it. We're talking about language. Sit down, let's have a chat. Hmm? A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Ronda, just a bit of a chat. <laughs> what about, sir? About English as a global language. This is a conversation. Yes. I would like to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. Let's have a quick conversation, huh? What do you think? That's what we're going to do. Away, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation about language. So that's where this part uh, ends. Uh, but you'll be able to continue listening in part two. So I think this is a good one, don't you? It's absolutely chock-a-block with insights, meaning it's absolutely full of insights and advice for learning a language. If you're a premium subscriber, you'll soon be able to see a video of me reflecting on some of the things that Ollie has said in this episode, summarising the main points and turning them into some bits of advice for those of you out there who are learning English with this podcast. So there will will be a video summarising the main points that have been said in this whole conversation. But for this audio episode, that's it for part one. Uh, You'll be able to hear the rest in part two as we discuss how to break the intermediate plateau, which is a problem many people experience. How can you get through that? And we talk about the connection between pronunciation and personality issues. So what are the different issues that um, are barriers for you improving your pronunciation? What are the different factors? One of them might be like physical things, like whether you're physically capable of producing certain sounds, like TH sounds, like th and th. Is it just a physical thing that your, your tongue actually can't do that? Is that just physical or is there something else? Is it maybe something to do with 
uh, identity issues, cultural factors and social factors and things that mean that we sort of choose not to go the or the because it feels so strange and like a weird identity shift. So we talk about the relationship between personality and identity issues and pronunciation. Um, some interesting insights there, especially on how Ollie managed to learn how to roll his R's, which Spanish people can do, which I can't do. You know, I can't really do it. But Ollie learned how to do it, and it kind of feeds into an interesting conversation about how he actually did that and, and what the sort of mental process was. Um, so. That's going to be in part two. To get the full Luke's English podcast experience and to get the full benefit of this um, podcast on your English, then you should become a premium subscriber. For just the price of a coffee or a beer every month, you can access an ever-growing library of lessons from me to you, covering language in more detail, usually explaining, clarifying and demonstrating real English, either because it's come up in specific episodes or because it's just stuff that you should know and should be able to do. I've been teaching for about 17 years and you can get the benefit of my particular set of skills by becoming a premium member. It's the perfect balance between getting loads of input and getting some advice, help and clarification and practice from me. All content is in the app and it's online. PDFs, full episodes, bonus episodes, videos, phrasal verbs, story lessons and more. Teacherluke.co.uk slash premium to get started. The app is the best way to get the premium content, I think. But okay, that's it for this episode. I'll speak to you again in part two. Thank you very much for listening. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.